making sales social is really identifying the pain points or the pleasure points that real need points of a client so that you're not selling that you are really creating a solution for some things that the customer truly wants welcome to the making sales social podcast featuring the top voices in sales marketing and business join bryn tillman and me bob woods as we each bring you the best tips and strategies our guests are teaching their clients so you can leverage them for your own virtual and social selling. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Making Sales Social. I have a really special guest today. He is a friend and a customer and and, uh, an influencer and inspires me every time we chat. As an expert in sales and leadership, I'm so excited to welcome Paul De La Garza. Hi, Paul. How are you, Brent? Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We've been working together for so long. I can't believe we waited this long to do this, but I'm thrilled. You know, we ask every one of our guests uh, one question, and then we'll kind of dive deep into the sales and leadership world. Mm-hmm. which is what does making sales social mean to you? You know, um, it's interesting because it really resonates with the very principle of sales that we that I promote and that I presented to clients in, in my public speaking. Essentially, sales is really, sales making sales social is really identifying the pain points or the pleasure points, the real need points of a client so that you're not selling, that you are really creating a solution for some things that the customer truly wants. You know, selling in the in the minds of many people has got somewhat of a bad rap because mm-hmm. a lot of people interpret selling as to fast-talking individual who is going to cram uh, down the customer's throat uh, a product that they may or may not need. And that is far from it. We have evolved significantly in those areas. And when you have an open ended kind of flow of conversation and and the sales professional seeks to understand, truly seeks to really embrace what that customer needs. When they create the value proposition that is based on in a response to what the client has said, what happens is that you're no longer looked upon as an individual who is selling anything. You're looked upon as a source of solutions. And that is when we truly connect with the client and long-term relationships are made. So I think that's my best description of sales social. Yeah. And, and, you know, that aligns with kind of our, our, one of our taglines, which is detach from what the prospect is worth to you and attach to what you are worth to the prospect. Exactly. That is, I think, I wish I knew that tagline. I would have said that and it would have been by far more concise and more effective. <laughs> it's all good. It's great. I love it. Um, so now I really want to take a little a, a deep dive. You yeah. have two r- really aligned expertise with our audience. You have been an incredible sales trainer and coach for specific industries over kind. the years. I, I love. I mean, I'm I always learn every time I listen to you, or it's great. And you have another area that is absolutely vital, I think more today than ever before, which is leadership. How do you lead these people, whether it's the sales team or the entire operation in a way 
that creates a culture of success. And so I'd love to talk, first of all, is how, how did you get this expertise in sales and leadership? Talk a little bit about your background or your journey. Why well, virtually my entire journey in working as a professional has been in those in those two areas. I started in sales at a at a very young age, and um, then at, at just as a natural progression, uh, I was promoted to supervisory positions. What I found is that initially I was so ill-equipped to when I first got my first position as a supervisor to really lead a team that I began to become very curious about the things that I needed to do in order to really serve the team, so to speak. And in the past 30 years, I have had positions predominantly that are in the sales and marketing area, but positions of leadership. So organically, I began to really acquire a significant amount of, of uh, experience in both areas. Then what I did is really start focusing on really sharpening both skills through additional training and, and really following some of the top minds in both areas. And that's that finds me where I am today. And uh, those are the two key areas that I offer. That's awesome. Share a little bit about your your philosophy. Like, how do you define leadership, and what's the philosophy to create that healthy and productive culture through leadership? You know, I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take advantage of the this question and share a definition that I give a lot of my clients, uh, and when I speak and I train, it's part of the training that I give. Uh, leadership is the identification of ambition. Be very very clear on that mission. Then taking a group of people and aligning them behind that mission so that they really buy into it, they understand it, that really that becomes part of it and they, they truly connect with it. And that ultimately, the mission itself becomes such an influence that it becomes literally the invisible leader. In other words, people feel compelled that they need to promote the mission and achieve it for, for sake of their own personal fulfillment because of the fact that they see themselves as integral parts of the achievement of that mission, and they understand exactly the positive impact it's going to have upon the, the recipients of that effort. And when you have that, you have what I call a high-performance culture. You have people that truly have engagement, and it goes from compliance to commitment. You have real commitment in the team, and boy, you can achieve some extraordinary things. You know, that leads me into the question. So you said the word engagement. Yes. And getting healthy engagement and keeping up morale in this hybrid work environment where you've got folks that are either 100% remote or, or a hybrid of in and out of the office. And it's a very different experience. Uh, and leaders need to lead differently now. Talk a little bit about the the adjustments and changes that they need to make in order to keep up that engagement and morale. Rand, you have made a remarkable observation. You really have, because what happens here is that a lot of people find themselves in positions of leadership, but they really just act as managers. And there is a significant concrete 
difference between management and leadership. Management is more process-oriented. Leadership is more strategic and visionary. And, and when you have a combination of both, okay, you really have a very powerful uh, component. What happens is that uh, a lot of people truly are put in positions of leadership. And unfortunately, despite the fact that they may be very, very competent, they're not prepared to do that. They, they, they really position themselves in such a fashion that, uh, that they continue to lead and there's dysfunction. So as a result of that, to your point, you have this engagement. I'll share a statistic. Uh, the Gallup Corporation, which we are all familiar because of the political surveys that they do, uh, also work for the private sector. And in doing so, they found something astonishing. They found that in a survey that they did uh, over the span of five years, they found that only 30% of the employees survey were engaged. In other words, out of every 10 surveyed, three, only three were engaged. And the other seven, we will call it had quit in place. Mm-hmm. And- oh, I love that. That's a new hashtag. Yeah, quit in place. In other words, they were they were showing up. They were showing up on time, eight o'clock, but the level of performance was strictly responsive, reactive, very transactional. Okay, I have to do this. I'm going to get paid. I cannot wait for my next break. I cannot wait for for the lunch break. I cannot wait for five o'clock, and the level of engagement was just diminished. Gallup surveyed these same employees and said, what is it that you're missing that you would like to have? And they narrowed it to four things. Okay? The first one was a sense of validation. A lot of the employees did not feel validated by virtue of, uh, what's the word, being, being treated quite literally as, you don't need to know, just do as I say. And that quietly diminishes the individual. And when an individual does not find a sense of purpose or contribution in what they do, you have, unfortunately, what they found, which is, I'm here for the paycheck and I cannot wait to get out of here because I don't like it here. Mm. So validation was one of them. The second one was a sense of purpose. They did not understand the core purpose of the actual business and how they relate to that entire purpose. Um, Jim Collins, you probably have heard of him. Love Jim Collins. Yeah, sure. and actually, he's from Colorado. Uh, he, ah, he's a neighbor of yours. He, yeah, he is. He lives in Boulder. And he, he did a study. He found uh, that there were a number of people, a number of companies, excuse me, in the New York Stock Exchange that were outperforming the rest of the companies 15-fold. In the measures of Wall Street, I'm talking about shareholder growth, profitability, et cetera. Very concrete, very pragmatic measures. And they went and polled these companies and they found that every single one of them said, we have a core purpose. Collins requested, what does that mean? So the reason we exist beyond just making money. And that notion transcends throughout the entire company. And what it does you, the level of engagement, the level of commitment is extraordinary. And you have a number of companies that you and I know very well. For example, Disney has a core purpose statement to make people happy. That has transcended to such levels because it's part of the culture. And that's part of the leadership. So when you have an element of purpose, 
and it's reiterated to the employee, the employee begins to really engage that much more. Going back to the Gallup measure, the third thing that they found is that a lot of these people did a lot of repetitive work. You had people that sat in front of a computer managing files. You had manufacturing and so forth. They needed an amount of time to be able to regenerate, to rest, okay? Mm -hmm. And they were not getting it. They're burning out. The burnout factor was huge. But again, instead of people just simply saying, I'm done because I'm exhausted, they were continuing to come to work, but they had quit in place. They were completely I, I know there's a fourth, but I just yes, want to go ahead. deeper on this for a second. Yes, yes, go. Which is what can leaders do to help prevent burnout in their teams? Number one, to be to be connected with the individual, to have communication. If you really look at any principle, if you talk to Maxwell, you talk to to uh, to uh, the, the top leaders, you talk to Tony Robbins and all these people that are clearly opinion makers, they will tell you that in leadership, there's a centerpiece element, and that is communication, effective communication. And by definition, we're talking about communication, not only from the standpoint of conveyance, we're talking about communication from the standpoint of absorption, assimilation, meaning how effective is that leader as to listening. And I'm talking about listening actively. Because when you're listening actively, what happens is that you find yourself doing two things. The accuracy of the message and the transmission is improved upon, but also the validation factor. The people Mm -hmm. that are being listened to feel validated. He Mm -hmm. heard me, he sees me, Mm -hmm. she really is connected to me. And, And the connection begins. So the first thing that the individual needs to do is to truly understand what the situation is with that particular employee. The second thing is to convey the core purpose. You said, you know what, you are you are very important in this entire process. You are extremely critical in terms of how we are going to go about achieving our overall mission in the in the objectives of the company. Not enough leaders say that. And mainly because many, some of many of them maybe do not even believe that that's the case. When in reality, that is truly the case. And I'd like to give you an example. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Bill George. He um, has written a number of books. He he's a professor of leadership at the John F. Kennedy School of Government over at Harvard, and he was the CEO of a company called Mectronics. And he made a statement, he made a speech to this, it was an all-hands kind of meeting, and presented the fact that everybody was vital, critical to the overall achievement of the mission. Upon completion of his presentation, he was approached by the people who were essentially representatives of the janitorial services. And they basically said, Mr. George, with all due respect, that was a beautiful speech, but frankly, we don't see how we are relevant. And he looked at him and said, Tinker, look around you. What are you seeing? So we have a beautiful building. He said, who takes care of it? And as a result of that, who do you, what do you think happens when people, customers, associates, partners come through our doors? What is the first impression that they get? You are as vital to the achievement of the mission as I am as our executive team, as our sales team, as our operations team. 
we're all one unit. Extraordinary statement. And these people... Looking to up your LinkedIn game? The Social Sales Link team has you covered with our LinkedIn Sales Accelerator, a guided social selling program that includes training, coaching, and so much more. Visit socialsaleslink.com slash in for more details. Again, that's socialsaleslink.com slash in. Walked away feeling very compelled in terms of feeling that they were part of the mission and that the mission itself became the invisible leader. So, you you know, you have those those components that become very, very powerful, very, very uh, compelling for an individual. Because we do have a tendency to identify and define our sense of self by virtue of what we do. That's awesome. So we don't forget, let's go to number four, and then I oh, have another question yes, for you. Yes, of course, of course. And then, of course, the, the, the essential number four is focus, okay? Think of it this way. We have a situation where a person is given their, um, their job description, okay? And there is an anticipation or expectation that this individual needs to figure out exactly what that leader is thinking by virtue of the job description that they have. This is a huge vacuum that exists between leadership and the team member. I shouldn't complain. It, these are the kind of things that keep me employed. Okay. However, this is a huge thing because people need to be guided to say, okay, by the way, within the framework of your job description, the focus this year is for us to be able to do A, B, and C. And that will really assist the individual to really generate a higher level of, of uh, results, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, let me just add another commentary real quick in terms of the validation and the focus. When you are not effectively validating, the propensity of the employee and the team member is to attempt to validate themselves. And when they do that, they start doing things like hoarding information or, or it happens because they say, I am the one that has this information and I will distribute it piecemeal. And as a result of me having this information, I'll be looked upon as that man that knows or the, per the woman that knows. But that and hurts the team overall. It hurts the team. It hurts the culture. And people start working very hard to try and become relevant in the eyes of the team and of their leaders. Imagine that through validation and by virtue of the focus, that they take that energy and they use it to promote the desired outcome, the big picture mission. It would be a completely different picture. And that's essentially what I do. Oh, I love that. All right. So I have two more questions. Yes. One, as a leader, what do, I guess, what do leaders need to do to help develop and grow their people? The, the, the way I'm going to answer this is going to be having a root in what we just talked about. But one of the biggest problems that, that exists in leadership is the lack of ability to, to effectively delegate. Mm -hmm. When you effectively delegate, essentially what you're doing is not only you're giving some, something that has to be done to your team member, but you have to empower them. You have to trust them. You have to promote and coach them in order for them to actually generate those results. So if a leader truly wants to accomplish these things, the process of delegation is extremely important. And unfortunately, Bryn, this is where the biggest 
sand trap exists. This is where the biggest problem exists. Leaders do not effectively delegate. And they are stricken by the notion, if you want things done right, do it yourself. Okay? And when you have an individual that has got five or six executive vice presidents or managers and so forth, people that truly are very, very competent and are ready to do the job and they do not receive the proper delegation, you start creating a, a, a disability within the actual culture of the team and if not of the company. So effective delegation is the one thing that that you have to really focus on. The other factor is to make sure that the individuals understand, truly understand what the overall high-level mission is, and then say, okay, so this is the mission I would like, let's say that you are a team member, said, Brent, I would like for you to tell us, how do you think we should achieve that? Because then what happens is, yes, engagement. Said he is asking me to give him feedback as to how we can do that. And then imagine this, you come up with really a brilliant idea and we implement it. What happens is you begin to see your personal voice and signature upon the overall direction of the company and nothing could be more validating than that. So making sure that everybody understands the core purpose, as we talked about earlier, but also said, how do we go about doing that? Once you have that, you need one more thing, and that is this, the empowerment and the authority to execute. So now we've got the mission. We have got the recommendations of the team in terms of how the steps, how about to go about doing this. Now they need to have the empowerment, the authority, and the resources to get that done. And when you have that, the rest is organic, uh, the coaching, the communication, and so forth. I love that. And there's a moment in there that I think um, transcends leadership that we don't hear enough. And it's, it's to me, it's this a great is point. A, the, yeah. And there, there is a mic drop moment that I just want to highlight. Yes. That I think if every leader could embrace would optimize the experience, which it, which, in, and I'm going to try to word it succinctly. But when you delegate tasks to your team, you are helping them grow. A hundred percent. And I think like when we think about this, oh, I don't want to give it to her. Uh, I'll, I'll do this. Oh, it takes more time for me to teach them for them for me to do it myself. But if you are a leader who is literally guiding people to be successful in their career, if you actually do it yourself over and over again, you are not leading. <laughs> You're doing. Yeah, exactly. And so, right? And and so when 100%. you said that, well, I mean, I'm just re reiterating what you said in like, because that's my aha moment of this, right? That Like, that's my, oh my gosh, you are doing them a disservice when you do it yourself. Yes. And and frankly, consider this just to build on what you just said, which is very important. You have certain limits. Limits of time, resources, energy, etc. And then what you're doing is by abstaining from delegating this so that your team can do it into some degree because of all the other responsibilities, 
that the leader has, they can do it more effectively. Okay. What you're doing is you are literally setting yourself up and the team for failure. Mm. And unfortunately, this happens much too often. I, I I wanted to, if I could, just mention something that I think is is very important in terms of the elements of delegation. Um, and the best way that I can illustrate it is by giving you two examples. If you have two people and one of them is the leader and the other one is a team member, and the leader comes up to the team member and says, follow me, and they go to a conference room and the leader says, I'd like for you to paint that wall. There's the paint, there are the brushes, everything is predetermined. How long will it take you to paint the wall? I said, well, I figure about 30 minutes. That's great. I'll be back in 25. See, see how you're doing. 25 minutes pass by. The guy comes in and the leader comes in and he notices that the employee is on his phone. He was about to admonish the individual until he looks at the wall and the wall is painted perfectly. And he said, oh, wow. And the employee or the team member says, that's two coats. So you did two coats. Yep, it's done. So, but wait a minute. I noticed that the other walls really are in bad condition. Why didn't you paint those? And the response, very respectfully, is you never asked. You never told me. Okay? Now, that is what we call a transactional task-oriented exchange. Do this. I'll pay you for that. Over and out. Okay? And at that point, the individual is compliant. He's complied. And he's complied brilliantly, but that's where it stops. Now, I'll give you the same example of the same two people. The leader in this case, however, takes him to the conference room and says the following. He says, by the way, see this conference room? He said, yeah, we would like to make this the central nervous system of communication for our clients and our referral partners. And we would like to actually make sure that it is functioning within the next three weeks or the next month, et cetera. And we would like to achieve the following things in terms of video conferencing and sales efforts, training, et cetera. How do you think we should do this? I said, well, I would put, I would paint all the walls. It's okay. What else would you do? And that team member begins to now be relied upon. Solution. Correct. Yeah. And then the leader says, great. Everything you said sounds fantastic. Here's a budget. You own it. Okay. That means that this function needs to be addressed by you. You are the authority. You're the final authority. Even I will submit to what you give as direction because there's no other way that I can hold you accountable otherwise. So now the individual is committed. There is engagement. So the becomes his baby. That's right. That's right. Right. And that's effective delegation. And that is the difference. Don't get me wrong, there's certain industries where task-oriented transactional leadership is essential. Military, certain aspects of construction, et cetera. You're not going to sit down in the middle of a war. Assembly lines. That's right. So those are the differences, and that's just a sample of uh, effective delegation. I love it. I love it. Okay, my last question is, what question did I not ask you that I should have? (laughs) Um, I, I think. Probably the most important one is to make sure that people, how how do we make sure that people truly understand the the critical elements of leadership? And I think that 
leadership, not unlike sales, has these two disciplines have essentially the same root. It is not about the leader. It's about the team. In sales, it's not about the sales professional. It's about the client. Uh, a leader should actually ask open-ended questions. Ironically, in sales, same thing. Because it matters who says it. When a leader asks an open-ended question to a team member and the team member discovers what the leader guided through some skillful questions, then the level of assimilation and retention and engagement is greater because the team member feels, I came up with that. I concluded that. Mm -hmm. in, in sales, essentially the same. When you sit down and you say, by the way, what will be the greatest challenge that you have in this particular area? I say, well, these are my pain points and so forth. So how does the solution look like for you? Well, I'd like to have that. What if I told you that we can accomplish this with these fashions? So that would be fantastic. I would buy that. The client has already said, I would, if you have that solution, I'll take it. So the components of communication have to be really re-examined because the communication is a very fragile kind of thing. Highly misunderstood. By definition, a lot of people say, define communication. So, you know, my ability to convey the written spoken word effectively uh, and concisely. And I go, okay. Anything else? No. That's it. When in reality, communication is a great deal about listening about assimilating, about bringing in that other person and connection. In leadership, connection is essential. Love in that. sales, connection is essential. In leadership, vulnerability by the leader is something that uh, 10 years ago, unheard of. Forget it. Not even, not a chance. Today, vulnerability creates connection. So I've been where you are. I have failed a number of times. But I look at failure as a rite of passage. Whereas you look at failure as a fatal terminal thing. No, it's a great teacher. And when you have those kind of things, the team needs creates a high level of cohesiveness and it, it really becomes a very functional culture. Love it. Oh, such magic. <laughs> thank you so much. No, no, uh, thank I, you, Bren. Thank you. This was a great opportunity. Thank you. Well, I mean, the value that you're bringing to our listeners right now is absolutely phenomenal. So as we close out, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, well, a number of ways. Uh, first of all, I have a, uh, I have a website, highperformance-solutions.com. You can actually book a complimentary coaching session there at no cost. And uh, that will be a great way of beginning the the dialogue so that I can understand exactly what you, you know your goals and how we may be able to actually complement that. Um, number two, um, my email address is p dot delagarza. That's d e l a g a r z a at h dash p b s. That's pop up bravo sam. That's a little military on the side. Dot com. And those are the two critical ways that you can. Uh, which means the fact LinkedIn, you're on LinkedIn. Oh my God. How could I have missed that considering who you are? Uh, folks, okay. just, just so you know, she has become my LinkedIn muse. Actually, my muse in many other ways, but especially. You're so sweet. Well, I, I enjoy know. working with you very, my pleasure. very much. My privilege.
Yeah. And so for all the listeners, I am sure that you got incredible value out of today. I don't know how you couldn't have. Uh, and, you know, stay tuned for our upcoming episodes uh, on making sales social. And until then, when you're out and about, don't forget to make your sales social. Don't miss an episode. Visit socialsaleslink.com slash podcast. Leave a review down below. Tell us what you think, what you learned, and what you want to hear from us next. Register for free resources at linkedinlibrary.com. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Visit our website, socialsaleslink.com, for more information.